But here she is, on a mountain road, Kanai Chester. We know exactly where to find her as Alec's appointment is about to start, because she is a woman who keeps her promises. She is a woman driving down a badly tarmacked road and ready to join her husband at the hospital. Her body still overheated from the thermal baths at Kurokawa, her ears still ringing with the laughter of her friends. These women who join her each Thursday for a soak in the volcanic waters. Her face now tired out and sagging from the work of forming itself into a mask that would hide her worry from her old friends. She is pulling into the parking lot, and she sees that little girl mistreated by the gathering winds, and she wonders what this young girl's father could be thinking about that he doesn't notice his daughter's one-armed resistance. But Kanae doesn't see Alec at the window, and he does not see her. And it doesn't matter, because she is already turning her car around and driving back up the same slick gray road, back up to Kurokawa Onsen, and back into the hot water that numbs as it burns. Kanaya's turn to stare out a window, counting the tips of the pine trees along the ridge of the mountain, and thinking how lovely is this place, how lucky she has been to live her life amidst such beauty, and to have been such a beauty. She is not thinking this last thought, but it is a secret part of her, one of the reasons for the long straight line of her sixty-four years of happiness. Alec is sixty-seven years old. Alec is sick. Alec is going to leave her behind. Quickly out of the water again and back into her car, heading off this time to fix her broken promise, but she doesn't get far. She is just as soon pulling the car into a viewpoint and then dialing, then listening and then she is snapping shut the little clamshell of her cell phone. She is thinking, now I am sure, because this is why she has called him. This is why she's listened to his voice, his voice after his appointment. This is why she hasn't said a word, because his hello was enough. Because now she is sure, and now she is nudging the car back out onto the road, repositioning the car in her own lane and ignoring an angry honk from an oncoming driver. What matters is the speed of her car and its position in the lane. What matters is the beat of the wipers and the hiss of hot wind against her car doors. What matters is driving carefully down a mountain road. Kanai turns the radio on. She turns it off. She checks her rearview mirror and with a breath, she leans into the steering wheel, bearing down on the accelerator, faster and faster, following this road away from Kurokawa, driving blind, driving with only one thought, where can she stop? Because hers is a jerky, anxious flight, a flight of pauses and indecision. And here it is, this small noodle shop on the backside of the mountain, a cabin for tourists when the season is right, but thankfully empty tonight when the season is wrong. Kanae pushes against the glass door, and the bells jingle above her head, and the owner is shouting, Irashemas!
and the smells of the oil and the broth and the wheat of the noodles bear down on her, and she is ashamed to feel so relieved. Another window to distract her beside the table she has selected, and outside the starlings are gathering into a cloud against the purple sky, and they swoop and vibrate in the hot air. There are two birds out of sync with the undulating mass, and she watches, curious, as the birds fly in figures, in funnels and pressed circles, in shapes with blurred edges. She cannot think of the last time she sat in a restaurant by herself, and this thought leads to another, so she wonders what else, what other phenomenon she has missed by always having someone to keep her company. And now, here it is, Kanai's intuition expressed in the movement of her hand to her cheek, in the unsteady brush of a finger toward her ear. She is understood. She quickly closes her eyes. Out of the darkness, she hears, Endo-san? She is turning, opening her eyes. No one has called her this in nearly forty years, not since her wedding, not since the perfect transformation she achieved when she agreed to exchange her family name for the foreign-sounding name of Chester. And so she blinks. She doesn't recognize the man standing at her table. He can tell. Your old neighbor! It's me, Fumi! Oh, yes, Fumikaze, she says. She can see him now, those watery eyes, the long bone of his nose. She is smiling, how she is smiling. But he smiles back at her, is reaching for the chair opposite and laughing at this unexpected encounter. And Kanaya keeps her lips stretched, bares her teeth, but she is out of step with his delight. She is watching him from behind the other side of a glass. A thin window settled in the air between them. On his side, the joy of running into an old friend. On hers, the escape from Alec's appointment. The sound of Alec's voice on her cell phone. And the future she glimpsed when she closed her eyes. What are you doing in Komachi? Just business. I can't believe it's you. You're the only person I would have liked to see here. And here you are. You wrote me lovely letters. She is thinking of the blue paper, the childish stickers and drawings which decorated his letters so many years ago when his family moved away. I thought you would become an artist. A memory now on the glass between them, Images of their first meeting fifty-five years before, when his family moved on to her lonely street, and a stroll in the evening as their parents spoke together for the first time, and an argument between Fumi and his older brothers, settled hastily as Kanai appeared, and then the fireflies rising up as the sun goes down, bleating through the darkness, and Fumi's hands... Kanaya's hands outstretched, together, capturing the creatures and locking them into little glass jars to make a lantern that throbs with light until the insects have no more air and begin to die. From his side of the glass, Fumikaze is telling her about his family, 
that his mother is still alive, that his father has passed away, that his brothers have moved up north with their families, that their children are spread around Japan and around the world, and Kanaya hears him on her side of the glass and sees that his hair is only mildly gray, that he has aged well, that he wants to hear her own life story, and so she gives it, ignoring the ring of the cell phone in her purse, ignoring the white tips of her fingernails as she grips the edge of the table to keep herself from answering the phone, from hearing Alec's voice again. You have a family, then? Three children. They're all still on Kyushu, but none of them live in Komachi. Grandchildren? Only one. You? What matters is listening to this man's story. Watch the shimmer on the glass between them. Watch it waver like it might suddenly vanish. No, I traveled so much. I never married. Another memory then. An awkward kiss in the backyard beneath the tree that straddled the line dividing their properties, and the final letters they wrote when Fumi almost told her how he felt, and Kanai understood anyway and told him how she felt, which wasn't the same. And then there were no more letters. But now, too many years have passed for this to matter, so they're back to nothing talk again, of nieces and travel and Kanai making empty compliments about his traveler's existence, and Fumikaze growing outwardly embarrassed but inwardly pleased, and working himself up to the one question that matters, and Kanae helping him, finally, needing to mention Alec, to somehow bring him to this table, her only way of saying sorry for leaving him alone at his appointment. My husband is from South Africa. My children are only half Japanese. She is nodding as she says this, angry now, angry for saying something stupid. She has never considered her children half anything, but she cannot take it back. And really, it was a gift to Fumikaze, because he would not ask until she mentioned it first, and now she has, and so, of course, he wants to know more. He wants to know about Alec and Alec's work, because these are questions that must be asked between old friends. But Kanae places her chopsticks down on the table and reaches for her purse, and she looks outside at the cloud of starlings, which has swelled to an ocean of black dots. There must be three hundred, four hundred birds, their slender bodies darting and twisting, heady with the tumult and race of their flight. The words come quickly, and she says them. I'm a widow. She puts this lie between them on the table, breaking the glass wall. And now we know she will leave this restaurant soon, and she will not return to Alec just yet. She will drive back up the mountain to Kurokawa again, back to the volcanic waters, to their heat and their sulfur stench, their prickle and scald, and she will pay for a room for the night.